lead. Mick Dittman is squeezing through on naturalism's emanations there with heroicity. And here comes Viander Cross. Viander Cross down the outside is motoring home. Naturalism the leader. Viander Cross inch by inch is wearing him down. Naturalism still in front. He ran out near the line, but Naturalism wins at a half length to Viander Cross in a bumping finish. Cavalieri, I think, third in front of Zamanese. Do any of your horses struggle to finish their feeds? during a racing preparation? Have you been unhappy with the way they look on race day? Do what many other trainers do with those finicky horses and introduce them to Pride's easy performance by stimulating their appetites with Pride's highly palatable set recipe feed you might find they're not leaving a flake in their feed bins. Correct nutrition helps racehorses to deal with the stresses of racing and training. It helps them to get that elusive win when they're in the right race, and most importantly, helps them to bounce back after the event. Pride's Easy Performance provides the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses get to the line while helping them to maintain inner health. Pride's Easy Performance the complete nutritional feed for equine performance athletes. Some call him by his official given name of Francis, but most use the popular alternative of Frank. He answers to either. In racing circles, Frank Cook is a widely respected owner or part owner of a large number of horses. Frank himself isn't sure of the exact number when he takes racehorses and breeding stock into account. Some say he presides over the biggest thoroughbred muster in Australia outside of Sheikh Mohammed's massive Godolphin operation. He started to dabble in horse ownership 30 years ago as a diversion from business pressures. That casual involvement slowly developed into a passion and later into a full-scale professional operation. In 2014, he sold his chain of nursing homes to concentrate full-time on his burgeoning thoroughbred investments. He's had unwavering support every step of the way from his wife Christine, who took a while to warm to racing, but is now totally besotted with the horses and the excitement of ownership. Christine has been single-handedly responsible for bringing many women into racing syndicates. The Cooks rarely race a horse in their own right. They prefer to involve friends and associates in ownership syndicates and, as Christine says, the more girls, the better. The Cooks can be excused for some pre-race nerves currently because they happen to share in the ownership of the top Everest contender, Lost and Running. Following some extensive detective work, I've been able to locate Frank, who's on a business trip to Queenstown on New Zealand's South Island. He joins us on the podcast. Frank, appreciate your time. You're in a beautiful part of the world there. Yes, and it's been uh, snowing overnight, Johnny, so uh, uh, privileged to, to talk to you from... Uh, from these surrounds, even though it'll be only here for one more day. You do a little bit of... the planes will let me out of here. (laughs) Yes, you do a bit of skiing, I'm told. Yes, yeah, but I came over here to uh, to golf, uh, remember, at the the hills, and uh, 
the best part of three years have had like uh, one game over here, I think, with uh, mm. uh, border closures. Um, so, uh, uh, but the golfing has been curtailed because there's been too much snow the last two days. Mm. With the Everest fast approaching, we should talk about Lost and Running, who was a $40,000 purchase at an English premier sale. How did you and Christine become involved in Lost and Running? Well, I was on the way to uh, to golf with uh, a good mate of mine, Carl Holt, and uh, John O'Shea rang um, from the Melbourne Premier Sales, mm. and Carl had uh, uh, got him to look at a, uh, a purring canto down there, and John rang to uh, say, look, uh, uh, all the information Carl had given him about purring canto, mm. he'd found a uh, he'd found a cult there for forty thousand dollars, and uh, was Carl interested? And uh, Carl said, sure, I'll take half right now. And I said, hold on, um, I love Purring Canto as well. Uh, can we grab it? Grab 10% as well? So uh, mm. I should have grabbed the other half, but I grabbed 10% and it's been an absolute marvellous ride with uh, with Carl and uh, uh, and his wife Lorraine and uh, and the O'Shea camp because it was my first involvement with, uh, with John O'Shea. Well, track conditions and barrier draw, of course, are crucial factors, but he's a classy horse. He's right on song, and you must be delighted to think that he ran in last year's Everest, and he gets another crack this year. Well, it was uh, amazing uh, because he ran for us uh, last year as well, uh, but he's in uh, he's far more advanced in his condition this year. Mm. Uh, with uh, John O'Shea, learnt a lot about him last year, and uh, the pre-training started started earlier. We just hope the track's not too heavy. Um, I think that the uh, the big guns may have it on us if it gets to a heavy nine, but if it's uh, sort of somewhere less than that, then we're we're a big show. Frank, let me take you back to your childhood days, growing up in the Sydney suburb of Dundas, when you and your siblings and your dad Bill would sit around the kitchen table listening to the trots on radio and betting with matchsticks. That really was the genesis of your fascination with horses. Well, yes, when uh, when you're housing housing commission kids, and uh, um, you know you had uh, dad at home with, oh, sorry, dad working with with uh, five in the family, and, and mum at home being a um, a domestic goddess. Um, <laughs> there wasn't much money to go around, but uh, the good old matchbox provided the uh, the betting tools for Saturday. Mm. So. Uh, it was the trots on Friday night, and uh, it was uh, it was a race on Saturday. Mm. Hopefully, you're, as long as your homework was done. You remained a very staunch fan of harness racing in your youth, and you became a regular at Harold Park in that wonderful era of some of Australia's best ever harness horses. Oh, there was an uh, amazing time. Uh, uh, John, um, you know, when you think of Paleface Adios and uh, Hondo Gratton, mm. um, Mount Eden, uh, when he came, when he missed the start, and uh, mm. I, I think he was 20 lengths behind them on the first lap, and he, he, he circled the field and still got up. Mm. Um, and the days of that uh, marvellous trotter, Uncanny. Yeah. Uh, that I always remember uh, started from 80 metres behind one, one night and uh, – and still won. Mm. Um, so they, they, were, they were great times, and uh, yes, it uh, it was just a, a good outlet from from school, I yeah. suppose. School, uh, and then uh, I did the university part time. Mm. So uh, yes, I suppose half the lectures you'd 
as happened with Friday night to duck out to Friday night to Harold Park trots, mm. or as it turned out, eventually uh, Bankstown, Tearfield, yeah, uh, the old, uh, um, the old, what was it, the wood drum they had out of Fairfield trots. Yeah, keep your hands warm in the middle of winter. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You've never actually raced a standard bred. No, no, I did drive one once mm. um, with my uh, my dear friend Bob Dwyer, mm. uh, who we grew up together. And Bob's uh, uh, was recently the uh, the mayor of Parramatta. Um, he's now claimed to fame, but uh, his father and his uh, younger brother Michael um, had trotters out at Castle Hill Showground. And uh, Bob and I uh, took his mare, Great View, mm. up to the Hunter Valley. And we went around Maitland, Cessnock and uh, Newcastle tracks uh, over a week. And uh, Bob nearly won, won a race, but uh, mm. uh, they locked wheels on the home turn. And uh, as he took the lead, and he wasn't there when they got up the straight. So <laughs> Poor old Bob got to go running down. down the straight to find where, where he was. <laughs> yeah. When I drove the... I went out to Castle Hill Showground to, to watch them uh, train one morning mm. and it was just Bob and I there and they had a new two-year-old. And I can still remember uh, Bob's horse was great for you and mm. um, I can't remember the two-year-old's name. He said, mm. well, look, you hop on the two-year-old, I'll, I'll stick with the mare. Mm. And uh, it might have been the other way around, but whichever way it was, um, I just said, take it slowly. And I took it slowly and every time Bob got to my shoulder, I gave him a little bit more rain, a little bit more rain. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, on the second lap, as we were flying down the straight, yeah. we heard this abuse from the sideline, yeah. where, where where his uh, dad and his brother had turned up. And well, mm. let's say I can't put the expletives on the no. onto a podcast. <laughs> no, um, but uh, that was my only one and only term uh, in a sulky. But it's quite a buzz, Frank, isn't it? And it's very different to riding a horse. Well, you've had a lifetime doing it, Johnny. So. Mm. Uh, um, you know, always admired the fact that you you stuck with it uh, despite the mobile starts and the four to one on favourites that uh, got yeah. me out of trotting. Yes, I realise <laughs> that. Well, you went to work for an Australian government institution called the Department of Labour and National Service. Sometime later, they promoted you to the Health Department, where you worked for a few years, and then you got an approach from the Age Care Association to join their management company. You were a bit reluctant at first, weren't you? I think you had two young kids at home. Yes, when I was approached, um, funnily enough, the uh, the first approach, uh, I was a bit arrogant and I sent my uh, my colleague down to the, the front counter to talk to one of the directors that turned up and uh, so they offered offered him the job. <laughs> so, so my mate Bob O'Shea ended up starting the management company and mm. a few months later they rang me and said, listen, business is going ahead, we need you as well. So mm. I looked at it and said, look, uh, um, I need the security of the public service. You mm. know, uh, I can't really really leave it um, and uh, to look after you know, a very young family. Mm. And uh, a light bulb moment, uh, the CEO at the time said to me, well, when you realise you make your own success in this, sorry, your own success in this world, mm. then um, you'll come and work with me. And uh, I went home and told my, uh, my wife at the time um, that uh, that's what I wanted to do and she didn't stand in my way. She said, well, if mm. you feel you can do that, go for it. So I'll always be grateful to her for that. Now, those two young children we were talking about, Brett and Belinda, 
I think, are both in their 40s now and getting on with life. <laughs> they are, and uh, and we have uh, Christine and I have been married for 32 years this year, and uh, mm. uh, Carl and, and Nick uh, are also in their 40s, her uh, her two children. Mm. So um, and we've got uh, six grandkids and uh, one more mm. uh, probably about middle October, very soon, very soon. Good. So, uh, yeah, Christine and I knew each other from uh, from Dundas days. So mm. in the teenage years, um, we were very good friends then. Used to uh, talk together after mass on Sunday for an hour <laughs> or two and then go home and uh, then she went out with other people. Yeah. <laughs> she said she was into, into bastards those days and, mm. uh, you know, I was, I was a wimp. Mm. So... Uh, <laughs> Well, there was a well, life... we got together 17, yeah, 17 years later, we got together. There was a life-changing moment for you in 1986 when you went to the USA to attend a conference on the nursing home industry. I think you mentioned the other day you were chatting with a, a stranger over breakfast and he made a comment, an innocent comment, that got you thinking. What did he say to you? Well, I just... Uh been claiming some money back from the from the government for a, uh, a nursing home proprietor. And uh, he said, uh, tell me, my man, why do you do all this for other people? Mm. And I thought, oh, second light bulb moment. <laughs> mm. <laughs> when I told my wife wanted to buy the next nursing home that came up on the market. And again, she uh, <laughs> just backed me in that uh, in that, that venture. Yeah. And that was, say, uh, 1987. And uh, I had a business plan and uh, and no money. Mm. Um, and uh, <laughs> thankfully, after uh, wearing my knees out going to half a dozen different banks, yeah. um, a very well, a, a gentleman who is still a good friend of mine, uh, Doug Thompson, mm. um, and still has the Thompson Care business in the in the aged care industry. Mm. He uh, gave me my start by referring me to his local bank manager. Mm. So I took a a ninety percent uh, gearing loan with a. Uh, first mortgage over the nursing home mm. and uh, second mortgage over the house <laughs> and the, the, the kids were third mortgage. Yeah, you were young and daring and fearless. Well, um, I'd, I'd seen when I was about the age of 19 or 20, um, there was a thing called the McCabe letter mm. that used to go around and there was just a business, a business sheet and they gave a very simple example that if you had um, $100 and you invested 10%, you made $10. Mm. Um, but if you had $100 and you borrowed $900 and invested $1,000 and mm. it went up by 10%, you made $100 on your $100. Mm. That seemed a pretty good deal to me. Yeah. So uh, my philosophy ever since then has been, oh, till you go. So for <laughs> my whole time in business, <laughs> I just kept extending loans and buying more more uh, more businesses, mm. um, and uh, with the support of uh, Christine, because uh, probably from we've been married since 1990, yeah. so she's been with me all the way through the journey. Yeah, by the mid 2000s, you owned 11 nursing homes, six in New South Wales, five in Queensland, incorporating 860 beds. It was a big business, it was generating major stress and it was starting to affect your health or inevitably it would have affected your health. You knew something had to happen. What did you do? 
well, probably a f four or five years before that, that was uh, 2014, so it was probably about 2008, when the GFC was uh, coming on. Mm. And uh, when the five bank managers turned up at my office rather than one um, for a meeting with Christine and, uh, and myself, um, I decided then that uh, the, the journey was, uh, was coming to an end, um, but uh, I had to see it through. Because at that stage, at that stage, we had I think seven nursing homes under renovation or construction. Um, anyway, I managed to convince the bank managers to keep backing us, mm. um, and then 2014 um, started to seek out offers for the uh, for the business, and we sold out to private equity. Mm. Uh, funnily enough, uh, not to take up too much of your time, but I I happened to text uh, uh, Chris was in Croatia. Mm -hmm. of all places, mm -hmm. for uh, a daughter of Carlin's um, wedding preparations. Mm -hmm. I text her, it must have been midnight over there, mm -hmm. to say, um, um, I think we're going to, uh, we're going to sell. Mm -hmm. And uh, next morning I reply back and say, well, if that's what you, uh, you think we have to do, then uh, go for it. let's do it. <laughs> and then go for it. Yeah. It turned out later um, I'd been going to lunches for about six months with uh, various uh, suitors to try and value the business. Mm. And uh, Chris told me later she thought I was having an affair. <laughs> so <laughs> she was far relieved to find out it was, uh, it was actually uh, a mob of bankers I was dealing with. Yeah. Yeah, good. Happy ending. Let's go racing, Frank. Your very first horse was a $5,500 mighty avalanche filly who was trained by Kevin Wallace at Hawkesbury. She was called Warning Siren. She won only one race, and that was under unusual circumstances. Yes, it was the uh, Jim Crack Stakes in 1993. She'd won her three barrier trials, and um, I think she eased from about five to two out to five to one. Um, and uh, she was beaten by um, Olympic bid, mm -hmm. and next thing – the warning siren sounded, mm. which was quite ironic. Mm. Um, and as a uh, first-time owner, we were wondering what happens here. So I found myself in the uh, steward's room because uh, Kevin Wallace, uh, the trainer, had lodged the protest rather than the jockey. Mm -hmm. The jockey was a bit unsure about the interference. But in the steward's room, um, it was uh, uh, quite obvious that there had been some interference in the straight and uh, – Warning Siren was uh, was awarded the uh, the race on protest. Mm. So that was in 1993 and just on, what, 29 years later, mm. yeah. <laughs> um, we won the Jim Crack again mm. with uh, Platinum Jubilee. Yeah, last Saturday, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You got a lovely kick along around 2004 when you obtained a share in a wonderfully consistent horse by the name of Haddaf, 85 starts, 15 wins, 17 placings, $695,000. He won 12 Metropolitan races, Frank. You loved him. Joe Pride was the trainer. Yes, we um, we loved uh, our, our, our grey uh, Joe, uh, nicknamed him Cookie. Mm. Um, and uh, Cookie is still with Gwenda Markwell down at Kembla. Mm. Um after he retired, um, he went down to Gwenda and um, he, ended, he, he ended up with Gwenda because he failed as 
his Clark of the Course training mm. at Warwick Farm with the ATC mm. because he hated other horses. Uh. So he didn't want them to get past him mm. and he didn't want to do much with them. Um, so he then went down and Gwenda said that uh, she had someone who would take care of him. Mm. And uh, one, of her, one of her staff uh, uh, put him out the paddock uh, on grass for three months and then they trained him again, uh, and, he, and he passed the test down at Kembla. So for many mm. years, he was one of the clerk of the course horses at Kembla. Mm. And there's a fabulous photo of Gwenda uh, with uh, Hadaf on the rein, standing at the uh, standing at the kiosk, mm. uh, waiting to to buy um, a coffee for Hadaf. Mm. Uh, and I think Peter Snowden was uh, in front of the queue. Oh, so <laughs> yeah, she Great loved photo. him and. Uh, and Gwenda hasn't been in great health, so uh, uh, it's just lovely to, to remember Gwenda as part of that process. But yeah. uh, Hadaf, the quick story was um, we went along to an English uh, sale and uh, I was looking at another horse and Joe Pride uh, said to me, look, uh, come and have a look at this grey. As it turned out, uh, we bought it for $25,000. Mm. Um, he'd already won two, two races as a two-year-old, mm. but uh, Godolphin – um, if they didn't think they were going to be stallions, mm. commercial stallions, then they sold them on. Yeah. And uh, Joe thought we could geld him. And uh, mm. we tried a couple of starts as an entire uh, without success. Mm. Um, and then we gelded him and ran into a heavy track at uh, at Warwick Farm one day, and uh, he won by about six lengths. Mm. So we, we found the secret was uh, go to the front and keep on going. And, mm. uh, and the wetter the uh, better. Used, and the wetter the better. Yeah. Um, and uh, it worked for him. So fabulous, fabulous horse. Your part owned preferment, who was a son of Zabil. He was a hundred and ninety thousand dollar purchase at Caraca. Chris Wallet trained him. He raced twenty nine times, five wins, five placings, three point four three million. He won a Victoria Derby, a Hill Stakes, a Turnbull, an Australian Cup, a BMW. He's now at stud in New Zealand. You've retained a share and you've plonked a few mares over there for him. Yes, well, it was actually uh, Christine's insistence that we retain our share, mm. um, a full uh, full 10%. I te- tend to prefer to sell uh, stallions down to uh, like 2.5% so we get a couple of serves a year. But she said, mm. no, we've got to back the horse. So we did. Mm. And um, we've got about 15 mares over there with uh, with preferment. Um and I think the the oldest has now just turned four. Mm. So this, from their four four year old a year on, um, we're expecting being uh, staying bred, being the last Zabil mm. uh, to go to stud. Um, uh, we just trust that those those bloodlines um, will come through, and we'll we'll breed a Derby winner. Mm. Has he had many to the races yet, Frank? Not many, not no. many. Um, uh, he served um, about a hundred and. 20 the first season, I think 95 were in foal. Mm. Um, and the numbers, of course, with being a stayer, drop drop off over the next few years. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, however, we sold uh, one in uh, Melbourne Premier last year for 270,000. Yeah. Um, out of a mare that uh, Brett Howard uh, found for me called Sea Spray. Oh, good mare. And, uh, Clint, yeah. yeah. And Clinton McDonald has. Uh, has that at the moment, uh, mm. and um, I think he's just still selling a few shares down Good. Um, and getting it ready over there. So mm. he's the best of them at the moment. I love the story of Fierce Impact, 
a $200,000 purchase at the Tattersall's Autumn Horses in Training Sale in England after a lacklustre career on the track. He was beautifully managed in Australia by Matthew Smith. He won three Group 1 mile races, the Turak, the Cantala and the Maccabi Diva. These first foals are arriving this season. He's a magnificent animal. Um, and funnily enough, he won his first start as a two-year-old in Japan. Mm. And his full brother is also a Group 1 winner in Japan. Mm. Um, but the, uh, the owner sent him to, um, uh, to try and win the English Derby. And mm. uh, he didn't stay the 2,400. Mm. His caper was more around the, uh, around the mile mark. And uh, with Matthew's uh, uh, guidance, uh, yes, he won. He won three Group Ones for us: uh, mm. the Turak, the Cantala, and the Maccabi Diva. Mm. Um, and the the reason I got into it, I happened to see an uh, uh, an ad on Twitter at six a.m. one morning. Mm. And Matthew was by that stage. Uh, we had a number of horses with Matt. And I rang him up and said, "Hold on, why haven't you told me about this import? Because <laughs> we'd been to uh, Japan earlier that year." Yeah, and we'd actually pat, actually patted Deep Impact, mm. um, and uh, so he knew that we were very keen on it, and that's why why he'd actually tracked this horse down mm. uh, through uh, um, Arvo, yeah, uh, the Bloodstock agent, mm. and uh, yeah, so he's it's great. And I was just looking at the irony of it uh, that he won a Maccabi Diva, and we actually had two Maccabi Diva trophies, mm. and the other one was won by Fortella. Yeah, so. It's just amazing how you can have two horses in the in your racing career that can win uh, the same Group One. Now, Four Teller was possibly your first connection with the Wallace Stable, was he? Well, we had a connection probably. Uh, I think it's about twelve, fourteen years now. But mm. he was certainly the first horse that was uh, imported, uh, mm. first of Chris's imports uh, that we got involved in, and he actually. Uh, Raced for I think it was nearly six years, um, and uh, he won his first uh, start. Uh, it's not his first start, but his first win. Mm. I'll always remember was at Rose Hill when he steamed down the outside with a big white blaze, mm. and uh, absolutely bolted in. Um, he then went on to win uh, the Maccabi Diva the next year, mm. and that was in fact I wrote a note. His first win was in September '09, mm. and then. Four years later, wasn't the next year? It was four years later in September 13, he won the Maccabi Diva. Mm. And the following September, he won the Underwood. Yeah. Oh, he was and raced horse. until he was a seven-year-old. Yeah, yeah foreteller. I'm going to put the pace on, Frank. We've got a lot to get through. Sure. Far away town was a nice mare. Three wins, including a group three. But her best payday came from a fifth placing in the Magic Millions three-year-old guineas. Now, under the new initiative of bonus prize money for horses owned solely by women, she picked up a lazy $350,000. Christine put that group of girls together. Well, that was the first um, – well, it came from my love of not a single doubt um, as a racehorse and uh, a potential stallion. Mm. And uh, uh, Maddie Smith and Matt and Mel and I found the horse at uh, Magic Million Sale, mm. and we decided to um, to buy it and uh, lease it out to women. Mm. And since that time, uh, every year, uh, we buy three or four fillies and uh, lease them out uh, 
but uh, some of the men got a bit jealous, so we do uh, have men in our <laughs> syndicates as well now. Uh, but they're mostly uh, mostly women. So uh, there was my sister-in-law and uh, uh, friends, and uh, it was just a, an amazing uh, time. Um, and uh, she actually ran six. Oh, did uh, she? Ran yeah. six. Yes, she ran six, and mm. uh, um, it was just. I thought, oh, we've lost. We said, Ned. Um, who was it? Uh, uh, oh, one of the assistants uh, came over to us and said, yeah. uh, "I think, uh, I think you may have won this." Yeah. And yeah, it was confirmed. So all of a sudden, all the women were up on stage there, mm. uh, receiving a tr their own trophy, and eventually their check. Ah, <laughs> mm. oh, yeah, beautiful. Now the most thrilling, exciting, romantic win of your racing life was the all-the-way win by La Squetty Spirit in the 2017 Victorian Oaks. It was her only win in 22 starts, but she was placed six times. She won almost a million dollars. Where did the name come from, Frank? La Squetty Spirit. La Squetty Spirit, uh, well, she's by Beneteau, and um, a bit of research showed me that uh, La Squetty Spirit was the fastest Beneteau yacht. Ah. Um, and that's uh, that's where the, the name came from. And uh, Lee Curtis had uh, inspected her at um, a Magic Millions uh, uh, sale. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd actually left the premises and left him instructions to go to uh, 100,000 was the figure. Mm -hmm. And the next, I didn't hear from him. Mm -hmm. And I rang him and said, Lee, what happened with that, uh, with that filly? I hope you got it. He said, well, there's good news and bad news. Good news is I got it. Bad news is I had to go to 150. <laughs> oh, oh dear, yeah. <laughs> poor Lee and Cherie had thought that uh, mm. I may arc up and uh, leave them with the horse and not buy it. So, mm. uh, no, but I was very, very, very happy to uh, to buy her. And um, since uh, then, that, that marvellous uh, win, oh, yeah. leading all the way at 100 to 1. Oh, um, amazing. And I think the commentator at the time... Uh, so Greg Miles said, yeah. "I've never seen, I've never seen a Fiasi Oaks run this way." Mm. That was when she was ten lengths in in front of the thousand meter mark. Mm -hmm. um, she, well, she and, just sustained the same speed, didn't she, Frank, over a long trip? Yes, yeah. Well, in the uh, mounting yard uh, beforehand, uh, Brenton Abdullah, uh, Lee Curtis, and I all had the same instructions. Um, you have to go to the front, and uh, if you think she's going too fast, just go faster. Because you can only go the one bat, but you'll mm. go all day. Yeah. Um, and uh, and funnily enough, we've bought her sister recently and had a first start the other day called the Sketty Boom, mm. and uh, the jock got off and said, "Oh, this thing will just go all day." Mm. So it's definitely in the breeding somewhere. Yeah. Oh my word! Shout the bar was a lot of fun, wasn't she? She won an Empire Rose and a Vinery for you and your partners, and uh, she made a lot of money at the English Chairman's Broodmare Sale. You decided to move her on. Yes, it was a hard decision to move her on. Um, uh, I'd bought into her as a yearling after probably inspecting her half a dozen times, but uh, as it turned out, uh, Gay uh, bought her um, and I jumped in and got 30% uh, for us mm. um, for to race in our colours. And um, funnily enough, uh, she won her first started at Newcastle, and then she won at Kensington, mm. and uh, then won two more Group 1s, um, 
and due to either our travel or COVID intervening, mm. we never saw her race. Not one race Gee. did we see Shout the Bar run. That might have been the secret, Frank. <laughs> yeah, I think when she uh, when she won the Empire Rose, we were on some cruise to Canada, yeah. uh, but the other the other uh, races were all during COVID time, mm. um, and the decision to sell her um, and I. I give Gay and Adrian uh, you know, credit for consultation. They were always in touch about, um, as managing owner, what uh, mm. I want to do with the with the mayor. Mm. And uh, she'd had a, a bad preparation due to wet tracks. Um, and we found, look, she's only a she's okay up to a slow track, but once these heavy tracks came around, she had mm. a bad prep. Mm. And we thought it wasn't fair to the other owners. The best result may come if we put her through the broodmare sale. Um, and then two weeks before it, uh, um, I told Adrian I didn't want to run her on a heavy yeah. in Sydney. So uh, uh, he and Gay found this race in Melbourne, the Sunline, yeah. on a, uh, a good track around Mooning Valley, and she won by four lengths mm. in a uh, group uh, was group three or group two, mm. two weeks before the sale, yep. and bought two point seven million. So mm. Uh, mm. yeah, a huge a huge result for the for the uh, for the syndicate. Frank, I'll just get you to stand by for a moment while we clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll be right back. Owners, trainers, jockeys and racing fans will be hoping the weather takes up in time to give Royal Randwick a chance to improve before its day of days. Hospitality bookings indicate a huge crowd will turn out for the sixth edition of the Everest, the wait-for-age sprint that showcases Sydney racing to the world. A purse of $15 million has had slot holders clamouring for the best horses available. A few were locked in many weeks ago, some were secured as recently as last week. The Great Nature Strip is in the commanding position of being a defending champion who's going every bit as well as he was this time last year with a Royal Ascot triumph recently added to his CV. Supporting the Everest is the fifth edition of the Kosciuszko, also over 1,200 metres. It was the world's richest race for country-trained horses even before the prize money was recently doubled to two million. Bellflyer from Grafton won the first Kosciuszko in 2018, followed by Handle the Truth a year later. It's Me from Scone was the winner in 2020, and last year, Art Cadeau from Shoalhaven Heads. It's Me has overcome serious leg problems since her brilliant win two years ago and is back for another shot at a race which has captured the imagination of bush participants. Throw in the Craven Plate, the Sydney Stakes, and the Historic St Ledger, and you've got one hell of a race day. My special guest is Frank Cook, and most recently, uh, the Cooks happened to share in the ownership of Zoo Gotcha, recent winner of the Silver Shadow, the T-Rose, and the Flight Stakes. She's a real race mare, isn't she? Well, it was an amazing day, John, wasn't it? Because you already mentioned Lost and Running, mm. and now we've got Zoo Gotcha, and we had um, Platinum Jubilee win on the same, uh, mm. the same program with our gym cracks, so uh, two Zoo Stars. Uh, so it was amazing to have um, Anthony Thompson and Kate uh, there um, to to celebrate the win of their zoo stars. But uh, to getting to Zoo Gotcha, well, it was just another uh, amazing achievement by Guy Mulcaster and uh, mm. and Chris Waller mm. um, to uh, 
select the uh, select the horse and uh, the syndicate that we're in is probably similar to the one going right back into uh, you know <laughs> the foreteller days uh, some of those people are still in the same horse so mm. it's uh, it's fantastic to have uh, Chris has had a number of very loyal clients that will always back up year to year and just trust the, uh, his yeah. and guys uh, Joe. yeah for a few years now, very exciting. you and Christine have run a company called Mystery Downs, named after a property owned by your maternal great-grandfather at Karuna near Karindai. And under the Mystery Downs banner, you've got 20 broodmares. Where do you keep those, Frank? Uh, they're all out at uh, Fairview Park mm. uh, at Grosswold. Um uh, which is run by uh, Linda Duckworth and, uh, and her husband, uh, uh, Ian, who does all the veterinary work as well. So, uh, yeah, they're beautiful people out at Fairview and uh, we've had uh, lots of success and they're, they're very dear friends. Um, now I want to talk about the Cook Colours. It seems your silks go around somewhere every day of the week. Maroon, white cross sashes, Yellow armbands, yellow cap, very identifiable colours. The race callers love them. But it wasn't always that way. You changed them early in the piece. Yes, the first time uh, uh, they, they raced was out at Hawkesbury and we had a purple cap. Mm. <laughs> and it was a, a misty uh, day as it can be at Hawkesbury. And I couldn't see my horse down the back straight. Mm. And when it came back to scale, uh, the trainer at the time, it was actually his wife, Lee, said, uh, you've got to put yellow on the uh, on the arms. Uh, mm. Whatever you do, put it on the armbands as well. Yeah. So we, we had a yellow armbands and changed the cap to yellow, and it's been that way for the best part of 30 years. Mm. <laughs> and then and then when uh, Christine uh, uh, started off with her uh, women in racing um, syndicates, mm. um, Chris Roots actually uh, – convinced her that she had to have her own colours mm. and so uh, uh, she designed the ones with the, the white diamond and the white diamonds on the sleeve so it's yeah. the same uh, same background just with the white diamonds but the, the callers uh, know or should know that they're uh, owned by uh, all women. Yes exactly. Merrill was one good mare to carry Christine's colours trained by Lee and Cherie Curtis. Merrill's uh, now at stud Mm. Um, she has a beautiful written tycoon uh, cult, um, and uh, she's currently uh, gone back to where we go this year with her. Um, well, leave it with me. I haven't written that down. I've forgotten. Mm. <laughs> Sorry mm. about that. Uh, Meryl was a, a, a fantastic uh, training effort by Lee Curtis. Um, it was an epaulette uh, selected by Brett Howard, actually, mm. at the uh, – at a Magic Million sale, mm. and I had to toss a coin uh, because both Maddie Smith and, and Lee Curtis uh, loved the filly, mm. so I had to toss a coin, and uh, Matt already had two of the uh, the ones we'd bought, so Lee got the next one, which was Merrill. Mm. Um, so uh, that was the way the way it worked out. But she was she won a, a Bruce McLaughlin, um, and she was unplaced in the Magic Millions. So I think there was a, one of those heavy track days up there mm. that um, just didn't. Uh, um, suit her, mm. and then she went down to Melbourne and she won. Uh, uh, it was a Group Three. She won down there as well, Mooney mm. Valley, and named yeah. after the iconic actor Meryl Streep. 
Now, Meryl Frank, Streep, yes. Very briskly, would you mind zipping through the names of the 22 trainers in Australia who prepare horses for you and your many clients? Um, well, since last night, I've recounted this actually 25. Mm, dear me, <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. In hope I didn't miss any. So there's uh, Joe Pride, Chris Waller, John O'Shea, uh, Gay and Adrian, uh, Brad Whitup, Will Friedman, uh, the Snowdens, Lee, Lee and Cherie Curtis, uh, Matthew Smith, uh, Kim War, Scott Singleton, Mark Newnham, and, uh, and Gwenda. Um, and uh, Kerry Parker, actually, I'd miss but Terry, the horse. Mm. Yes, we still got one with Kerry. Yeah. Uh, then in Melbourne, we've got uh, Daniel Bowman, Kieran Ma, Mike Maroney, Henry Dwyer, uh, Graham Big, Shane Nichols, Lloyd Kennewell. And then in Queensland, Helen Page, Steve O'Day, David Van Dyke, and uh, we have a horse with Will Clark in, in Adelaide, thanks to uh, Brett Howard referring mm. us on, the, on there. Mm. And I'm delighted that you've made mention of Helen Page on the Gold Coast, who uh, suffered uh, a very sad time last year when she lost her husband, John. Great horsewoman, Helen, and a delightful person. And a fabulous guy uh, was John. Um, mm. A very genuine man and, and a dear friend of ours. Uh, uh, in fact, he and Chris used to have all these quiet discussions on the side and uh, I never knew what they were talking about, but uh, mm. <laughs> Chris and uh, John had a very special relationship. Now, we, we buy um, uh, one or two fillies every year for Helen. Um, uh, she won the Golden Rose for us in 2004, mm. which I think was only the second running of the Golden Rose. And we had a, a young jockey who'd just come back from Ireland mm. called Hugh Bowman. Yeah. Um, that Helen chose to ride, and uh, what a marvellous job he did. Mm. Uh, and we've been with Helen ever since. Mm. We've so mentioned uh, we've mentioned Joe Pride, we've mentioned Lee and Cherie Curtis and John O'Shea and Chris Waller. Matt Smith has trained uh, quite a number of horses for you, Frank, in, in recent years. Matt seems to be winning races all over the place currently because he takes them where they can win. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, if you talk about continuous improvement, uh, Matt Smith's stable has been on that journey for the last uh, ten years. So there's there's uh, nothing about uh, nothing legal that Matt would try. Mm. Um, and of course, uh, two years ago now, they bought their property up at uh, at Luskin Park mm. um, at Luskin Tire, and they, again, they've now got uh, um, their own uh, arena. Uh, I think it's a 50 by 80 metre arena, mm. which uh, I, I bent my back uh, uh, shoveling some gravel and helping some fencing with uh, with Matt and uh, a few of the, their mates up there. Mm. Uh, he's done a great job with that. Uh, he also now has um, beach facilities. He uses at both Newcastle and Nowra mm. and uh, he uses the old Farlap uh, heavy sand treatment uh, mm. for some of the uh, – uh, some of the the older horses that need more work, mm. um, or others that, that, that might need dressage work at their arena. So, mm. now we've been with Matt since the faraway town uh, days. So, yeah, it's uh, probably about ten years now. Yeah. Mm. Through Mystery Downs, you and Christine are currently supporting two great charities. One of them is in Queensland for victims of post-traumatic distress, 
and uh, they've now been assisted with a government grant. You'll be thrilled with that. Yes, that's uh, Life with Horses. Um, uh, Catherine Creech uh, is running that. Uh, Catherine was an event organiser and uh, a family friend. And then um, after she had a few a few um, problems, decided to change her entire career and uh, found that horses were very, uh, uh, very good for people who had uh, post-traumatic stress disorders and for young children who were uh, a bit of autism or mm. um, that the, the marvellous way that, uh, that just being with a horse can, can, uh, can help people. Um, and that sort of linked up with our uh, penchant for looking after retired racehorses. Mm. And so um, it's, it's hard and you can only sort of look after one or two at a time and then just gradually increase the numbers. But um, uh, Kat has uh, two of ours up there at the moment um, and is continually developing the uh, uh, the partnership. So yeah, we were on the uh, small board that they have uh, running it. And, yes, Racing Queensland uh, recently uh, awarded a $10,000 grant uh, for uh, to, to assist with veterinary treatment for uh, life with horses, life with uh, Horses being ex-thoroughbreds. Um, so the only issue we've had with that is that they don't consider farrier work mm. uh, to be veterinary work. Mm. And uh, one of our uh, one of the uh, geldings has seedy toe and needed uh, both farrier and vet work, but mm. they will only fund farrier, the vet work. <laughs> so mm. bureaucracy as usual, but it's, uh, it's always a step in the right direction. Mm. And the other one is the Thoroughbred Horse Rehabilitation Association, which rehomes off-the-track racehorses. I think they're based at Pete's Ridge uh, on the Central yes, Coast. Uh, yeah, Chrissy Harris uh, runs that and has done a, a marvellous job and uh, uh, is continuing continuing to develop more facilities out there. Um, we've been up there a couple of times and... Uh, uh, there are people uh, have their own jumps up there. We've all supported them. Like there's Mystery Downs jump and there's an English jump and an Ingham jump. And mm. um, so these are all ex-race horses that are being taught to to show jump and to hack uh, and do dressage at, at various levels. So Chrissy's doing a marvellous job uh, in encouraging uh, uh, people to uh, look after the ex-race horses and uh, find new careers for them. Well, Frank, you're a very fit 71. You've got an unbridled passion for thoroughbreds and for the Australian racing industry. I think you'll be a fixture on Australian race courses for a long time to come. I hope you're right, John. <laughs> and the great thing is that uh, uh, Chris supports uh, me in it and uh, and we, we, love, uh, we love our breeding and, uh, and we love the horse. And so it's the... Uh, it's all about the, the horse and the welfare of all those participants in the industry. So uh, thank you very much. Well, to you and your partners and your high-profile slot holder, the TAB, good luck in the Everest on October the 15th with Lost and Running. Well, you just sort the weather out for us, John, and uh, <laughs> uh, Lost and Running will do the rest. A delight to speak with Frank Cook on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Do any of your horses struggle to finish their feeds during a racing preparation? 
Have you been unhappy with the way they look on race day? Do what many other trainers do with those finicky horses and introduce them to Pride's easy performance by stimulating their appetites with Pride's highly palatable set recipe feed, you might find they're not leaving a flake in their feed bins. Correct nutrition helps racehorses to deal with the stresses of racing and training. It helps them to get that elusive win when they're in the right race, and most importantly, helps them to bounce back after the event. Pride's easy performance provides the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses get to the line while helping them to maintain inner health. Pride's Easy Performance, the complete nutritional feed for equine performance athletes.